Our ability to feel deeply is a gift from God, and our emotional health plays an important role in how we interact with other people, for better or for worse. Understanding what emotional health looks like biblically and learning how to discipline our unwanted emotions will lead to stronger relationships in every area of our lives. Join us for this new message series as we learn together how to deal with what we feel. Well, good morning. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Happy whatever you want to call it. I'm just happy to be here with all of you and to see you. Welcome to Vintage Church. My name is Nate Brown. I'm the lead pastor here at our Liberty Hill location. If you're new here today, we are a part of a family of churches. We have two others, one in Harker Heights, Texas, and one in Belton. And we are here. We're brand new. This is our ninth service, if you can believe that. So um, we're all new. Yeah, we can clap for that. That's cool. This is your first time here. We're just you're, you're just slightly newer than us, um, but we're all all new here. It's so good to be with you, my family, my wife, and I. We've lived here in Liberty Hill for about 12 and a half years. We love this community, and we are excited to be doing church right here where we lived. It's Easter Sunday, obviously, so that means a couple days ago was something that we call Good Friday. And on Good Friday, that's a time where we really just take a look, a close look, at the brutal reality that sin. There it is, the three-letter word. We're already, we're already there. Your sin, my sin, and our sin has separated us from God. There's really no easy way to say it, but the job of every pastor is to tell you the truth about humanity and about people. And the fact of the matter is, is that our sin has separated us from God, but God in his love had a plan for us. What I think so interesting about God is that he made us in his image. And I believe part of that means that he made us with the ability to freely choose what we want. And what's maybe even more amazing is he did that knowing we would choose ourselves over him every time, all the time. That's how it works. But because he still wanted to have a relationship with you and me, from the very beginning, God established a plan to bring us home. And that plan was Jesus, fully God, fully man. He lived a sinless life. And in exchange for it, he was murdered on a Roman cross. But because he lived that sinless life, he was able to die in your place and in my place. And three days later, the Bible tells us on that first blessed Easter morning 2,000 years ago that he raised to life again. And that's a pretty remarkable thing because we celebrate it every year. It's like a national holiday and it's, you know, as soon as Valentine's is over, we start seeing stuff in HEB. We start to actually lose some of the significance because it's so diluted by culture. But go with, it with me, if you will, for just a moment as we, we take a look at Matthew 28. This is the morning after Jesus has been dead for two days and all the people that followed him were scattered. Matter of fact, the Bible says all but one of his 12 disciples when he was arrested disappeared. Sounds like some friends I've had in my life. <laughs> it was just a joke. It's okay. But, but, but seriously, most people were gone. They were dismayed. The guy they put all their hope in was dead, buried in a rock tomb. They didn't know what to do. Matthew 28 says this, though. That after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothes white as snow. 
And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Think about what that must have been like for them in that moment. The angel goes on, he is not here. He is risen, just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear, but also great joy. And they ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. (laughs) What a greeting that must have been. And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. And Jesus said, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And so now in the tradition of the first evangelist, those women who saw Jesus on the road and went to tell the disciples, I have come to tell you that Jesus is not dead. He is not a myth. He is not just a story that you have read about or heard about. He is a resurrected God man who has conquered death and the grave and hell. And today he has opened a door for every single one of you who would like to walk through it. The question is, will you walk through it? Will you walk through it? If you have your Bible, you can turn over to John chapter 10. I'll read a verse there in just a moment. But first, some background on the passage. In John 9, before that, we're not going to read it. But in John chapter 9, we can read a story about Jesus healing a man who was blind from birth. And after this incredible miracle, where he brought sight to someone who had never been able to see, a bunch of religious leaders started arguing about whether or not he should have done that on the Sabbath. How many know that's the way things can be sometimes? God does something amazing. And instead of worshiping him, people like to just critique it a little bit. Like, maybe you shouldn't have done it that way or this time. In fact, that whole event sparked a debate between Jesus and the Pharisees. And in this debate, Jesus says something kind of wild. He says, I came to help the blind see, and I also came to help those who could see become blind. It's kind of a strange thing, right? Why would you want someone blind to see, but then someone who sees to become blind? I think maybe this is why. I think we're pretty sure of ourselves sometimes. And so we think that we see something clearly. But I mean, sometimes you have to stop seeing clearly what you think you're seeing clearly so that you can start seeing clearly that which you need to see clearly. We people, we're easily deceived and no one deceives us more than ourselves about what we think, what we see, and what we believe. One of the things in today's day and age that I think we need to stop seeing Stop seeing. Are all these paths to righteousness separate from Christ Jesus? You see, I think most of us have an intrinsic instinct to know that we're just not actually all that good. Like if we're being honest, I think we would all say, yeah, I've messed up. Some a little, some a lot, some a whole, whole lot. But there's no one perfect. If you're in this room today and you're perfect, please make your way up here and take this microphone from me quickly and tell us. Because I am far from perfect. The truth is we've all messed up 
still kind of a soft way to say it, but we've messed up in probably in some substantial ways. So what do we do? We try to work to undo the things we've done that we're displeased about in ourselves. We, we try to be nicer to people. We try to help with charitable causes. I have to tell you the truth. There's no amount of apology tours or niceness or social justice that you can do to make up the gap between you and God that your sin has created. There's no amount of political correctness or kindness that will solve the problem that you and I have. So what will? I'm glad you asked. There's only one thing. Following that debate with the Pharisees in John 9, we get to chapter 10 and Jesus says this in verse 9 of chapter 10. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. You know, Jesus calls himself the door because I think doors are actually substantial. And let's think about doors for just a minute and then we'll look back at Jesus, not as a door, not as some old door, not as a door for some people and not others, but as the door. But there are other kinds of doors, right? I mean, how many know life is not static? We're always on the move, always on the move. Any place you want to get into or out of almost invariably involves a door or maybe a gate, which, by the way, some other translations of the Bible call Jesus the gate or the door. So pick it. Gate on your ranch, the door on your house. We all know what we're talking about. We go in and out of doors all the time. As human beings, we are always walking through doors. In fact, the average person crosses over 100 thresholds a day. Think about that. It's hard to actually find something that you do more often than walk through doors, and yet probably none of you have thought about a single door you walked out today. Maybe the one you locked on the way in, or if you're new here today, the front door, and you thought, I wonder what's on the other side of this door. We go through doors all the time. The gym's got a door, the car's got a door, the restaurant's got a door. Most coffee shops have a door, but not the Rush coffee truck, no door out there. It's pretty good coffee, by the way. If you didn't get it on your way in, get it on your way out, it's on us, and it's amazing. On your home, you have a front door, you have a back door, you got a bedroom door, a bathroom door. We're constantly crossing from one door to another. And then aside from all the physical doors, there's other kinds of doors. There's doors of transition, right? There's a door that separates one thing from another, one area from another. If you want to go from being in the auditorium out to the commons, you pass through that kind of door. But there's also seasons and transition and opportunities. And how many have ever prayed, God, open a door? God, close a door? There's doors that stand in between us. There's also doors of pain. Sometimes we don't know. We're going to open a door, and then we discover a sickness or a loved one in need or a broken relationship. There's all kinds of doors. We all face different doors. But the truth is, I think we all have this probably in common. We don't like not knowing what's behind the door. We generally want to know what's going on. I don't know if you guys remember, I'm a child of the 80s. Did anybody else grow up in the 80s and there was this thing, like before you even knew the word addiction, you had one, which was that when you stayed home from school, something inside of you compelled you to watch Bob Barker and The Price is Right. Am I the only one? Let me just, this won't embarrass you. Let me just see your hands. When you stayed home from school, something inside of you is, I have to watch The Price is Right. Yeah, you're like watching, they're guessing. You're like, no, baby, you're wrong about that number. I know what that number is. And you're keeping track of all the money and things that you might could have won if you would have just had that ticket to LA and just heard them call your name and say, come on down. There you go. All right. And when it gets to the end of the show, the end of the show was also pretty, you know, tense and fun and a lot of energy. And they called that the showcase 
Showdown, good, I'm not the only one. And the showcase showdown would come along and there's three doors, right? And you gotta, mm, mm, which one? All that tension, all that excitement. I could go on and on about the tension or the excitement and sometimes the terror that stays behind doors before we walk through them. And in a minute, before we get out of here, we're going to talk about four other really important doors. But before I tell you about those, I just want to tell you another story. I read one to you about the resurrection, but this is a story that Jesus told before he died on the cross. And if I'm honest, I kind of see myself in this story. It comes from Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app phone, or you can just look at the screen behind me, I'll read it for you. Beginning in verse 11, it says this, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your inheritance now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted, say wasted, all of his money in wild living. Anybody know somebody like that? Don't raise your hand. It's okay. About that time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. So he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into those fields to feed the pigs, and the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs started to look good to him. But no one gave him anything to eat. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, you know, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and I will say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Now think about that moment if you're the father. Your son came and said, give me what I think you owe me while you're still here even before you're dead. And then squanders every bit of it away and comes home. I wish I could say I'd be like this father, but the truth is, I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't. But this father, here's what it says. He saw him coming, and he was filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robes into the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his fingers and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead, and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So let the party begin. I don't know about you. But again, if I'm being honest and I want to find myself in that story, probably not the father. Probably not the father. In fact, I identify more so with the wayward son. You know, I'm somebody who was raised in church. My parents would take me to church every Sunday morning. Like, didn't matter if you were sick. You better be running like 103 degree fever. They might let you stay home, but they probably tell you just go and go see that prayer team and let somebody pray for you and get healed. We're going anyway. It took me to church every week. But a time came in my life where I thought, you know, I don't need all that. I can do my own thing. I can do what I want. And much like this prodigal, I just started to go and do life on my terms. I don't know if maybe you found out what I found out, but life on my terms doesn't exactly work out the way that I would like for it to. 
So there was a moment, a day came, where I knew that I had to come home. I had to come back to God. The problem is I was scared. I wasn't actually sure if God was going to take me back. I read these Bible verses about how serious God is about sin, and I thought, "Mm -mm, he's done with me. I was convinced that God could never love me as a son, but I prayed maybe like this prodigal that he would take me back just as a servant. Just, just let me, let me just be a servant. And what I got from God, what I received from God, and it's really hard for me to explain this because it's something so supernatural and transcendent that you feel inside when God flings open the door and expresses his love to you in incredible ways. There's hard, it's hard to find the words to explain what that was like, but that is what I experienced. I experienced the arms of a loving father taking me back. Because God takes redemption seriously. Maybe for the first time in my life, after experiencing that love, that overwhelming acceptance, I realized that there was an open door as a result of an empty grave that actually meant something to me and for me. And it means something for you here today. So the last few minutes that I have left, I just want to talk quickly about four doors the empty tomb opens. See, when Jesus rolled back, the angel rolled back the stone for him, he could walk right out. That door opened. But when that door opened, many other doors were open for us as well. Number one, the door to forgiveness from yesterday. I don't know if you know this, but there's a reason that we as people struggle with guilt. It's because we're guilty. We are. We do stuff we shouldn't do. We think things we shouldn't think. There's a reason. But the message of Easter isn't about suffering under that guilt until God is satisfied. Listen, you can't suffer enough. The message of Easter isn't about you trying to do enough of the right things so that God will forgive you. The message of Easter and the resurrection is about what Jesus has already done for you. Colossians 2.13 says this, he forgave us all, say all, all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Forgiven, canceled, taken away, no more. And when we get this, when we really get this, we get that all we need is him. And when we walk through the door of forgiveness, we come and we can now see the door to peace today. The door to peace today. I don't know if you know this, but you can't actually unlock the door that gives you peace with God by yourself. You ain't got the key. I don't have the key. Jesus has the key. A recent Gallup poll, it's about four years old now, but in 2018, they surveyed and they found this. 86% of Americans still believe in God. But only 16% of those same people felt like they had peace with God. See, most people don't have a problem believing that God exists. I've never had enough faith to be an atheist, just to be honest with you. It's hard for me to look out in the sky, the stars, the trees, the mountains, see all the beauty of creation and think, that must have just popped out of nowhere into existence. And if you're a skeptic here today, I'd love to talk with you about that. But that's something I could never bring myself to fathom. But what was harder for me 
was to figure out how do I have peace with whoever made all this? The answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Jesus gave us peace with God. Let me show you. Romans 5, 1, Paul writes this. He says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Again, the the message of Easter isn't about some distant God sitting and stirring and fuming and waiting in anger for all the things you've done wrong to punish you. The message of the resurrection of Jesus is that through him, all of us, not all of you, all of us, because I am one of us, who are far off from God, can be brought near. But near to what? Number three, near to the door to life tomorrow. From time to time, we all are forced to face the reality that life is precious. There's not much we can do about it. I bet everyone in this room, especially if you're an adult, you've lost someone at some point in time. And we try to do things to hold it off, but the truth of the matter is, is apart from Jesus, death is all time undefeated. We all die. The question may be when and how, but death comes for all of us. And here's the thing. For many people, death is the ultimate fear. It's the ultimate fear. What happens when I die? I have to tell you that it doesn't really need to be that way. We don't actually have to live full of anxiety and anxiousness about what's going to happen when we die. And here's why. Jesus says this in John chapter 11. By the way, at Vintage Church, we go to the Bible a lot. The reason is I think the best thing I can ever give you is the word of God. The word of God is way more important than any bright ideas that I may have. So we use a lot of scripture here. I hope that's okay with you. In John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. See, when Jesus offers life everlasting, he's not just offering fire insurance for the future. He's offering you a seat at his table. He's offering a seat in his table, a place in his home. And like the good father in the story of the wayward son, he's offering number four, the door back home. Jesus is offering the door back home. John 14 says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come back to get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I am going. You see, God doesn't just offer you and me forgiveness. He doesn't just offer us peace, though that would be enough. He offers life and he offers hope. He offers a home, a place with him forever, not as a servant but as a son, as a daughter, as a prized possession. In fact, the scripture we just read, it was the words of Jesus. And those words weren't just for the disciples at that time. The Bible may have been written to them, but it was written for you and me. Those words are for us. So right now, like right now in this very moment where we sit in this service, Jesus is making a place for you.
He's preparing a seat at the table for you. And the message of Easter, the message of the gospel, isn't about being good enough to earn a room in his house or a seat at his table. Listen, heaven is not for the perfect. It's not even for the good enough. It's for the humble who have said, I am not worthy, but you have made a way. So I bow my knee and I give you my life today. Jesus said this to the thief on the cross as he was crucified. There was a thief who was saying, I deserve to die, but you don't. When you go to where you're going into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus said, oh, I will. And today you will be with me in paradise. You know, that thief on the cross did something that's really hard for all of us to do. He humbled himself. He saw himself rightly. And he saw Jesus rightly. So on that cross and through the resurrection, Jesus made a way. He opened a door so that all who believe on him will be saved. I said it before, but I'm gonna say it again. Heaven is not for the good enough. Heaven is for the humble. Heaven is for those who decide. I don't think I wanna do this my way anymore. I think the God that made me on purpose, for a purpose, should have the say in what my life looks like. What I do, what I think, where I go. So we say, I'm not worthy, but you made a way, so I say yes to it. Romans chapter 10, verse nine and 10 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Church, if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we begin to close. I really mean this. I don't want anyone looking around. We're not here to expose or embarrass anybody, but I'm telling you, there is a door that's open for somebody in this room today. And maybe you walked through it when you were a child, and then you walked back out at some point, and you're wondering, how do I get back in? How do I get back in and have peace with God? How do I get right with God? How can I secure a hope for my future? Listen, you can't, but he can. If you're here today and you're, you're ready to say, Jesus, I wanna give you my life, maybe for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time, with every head bowed and every eye closed, please do this. If that's you today, I want you just to slip your hand up quickly and put it back down. I'm not gonna call you up or embarrass you. Be here today and you say, Jesus, I give you my life today. I wanna to come through the door. I wanna come back home. Jesus, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for your cross and for the resurrection, for life eternal. Whether you're making that decision right now, again, for the first time, or you've been following Jesus for years, I just wanna ask every person in this room who's ready to give their life to Jesus, to say yes to him, even if it's been 20 years. Church, let's just all say this together. Repeat after me. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I believe you are who you said you were. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you are raised to life again. 
I believe that you are preparing a place for me. And today, I give you my life. Help me to follow you. Help me to honor you. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. On your way in this morning, you should have received a little cup like this. If you did not, we made our aisles extra wide today, so it's easy to get out and back there to grab another one if you'd like. But before we leave this moment, I just want to take just a second and remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross some 2,000 years ago. The night that Jesus was arrested, before that happened, he met with his disciples and he, he took some bread and he broke it and he told them, this is, this is my body. It's about to be broken for you. And he took a cup and he said, this represents my blood that will be shed for you. And then he told them, when you come together, do this in remembrance of me. And so we want to just do that today. If you would, on the small end of this, you can peel back the label and there's a piece of gluten-free bread in there for you. It's true. (laughs) Jesus, we thank you for your broken body that was sacrificed for us. Lord, as we take this bread, would you help us to remember what you gave up to bring us home? Church, let's receive the bread. If you flip it over, you can peel back the other seal. Jesus, we thank you for your blood that was shed for us. Sinless, perfect, died in our place. We thank you that it's your life that gives us life again. We believe that you are the resurrection and the life, and we believe that because you shed your blood for us and came back again, that we will be with you forever. Thank you for your blood. Church, let's receive it now. God, we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you. And for all that you're going to do. For all of your promises, Lord. Mostly for your sacrifice. Thank you for your church. Thank you for community of faith and believers. You're a good God who gives good gifts, and we love you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. You can stay connected with us at Vintage.Church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. At Vintage, we believe church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Liberty Hill area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service time, and plan your visit by visiting Vintage.Church slash Liberty Hill. We hope to see you soon.